0: This message is such a blessing, and it's a great encouragement to the believer. It clearly means that there is one-time salvation moment in a person's life. When you read this verse, the Bible clearly says, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. Now, a lot teach, or some teach from this and say, Look, you can lose your salvation. That is not what this teaches This teaches that the sacrifice for sin has already been taken care of. Amen. And now when you sin, or you sin willfully, or you choose to sin, there's no more sacrifice to be made. <laughs> and you say, well, what do I do about that, preacher? Well, that's why God gave us 1 John 1, 1.9. <laughs> if we confess our sins, it becomes plural, and we confess those sins. He's faithful just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The saved go to God. We don't have to go through somebody. We don't have to go to somebody special to ask God for forgiveness. We can simply drop to our knees wherever we are and say, Dear Lord, forgive me. Isn't that a wonderful Savior? And I thought about salvation. It's not a repeated act by an individual, but there is a certain time in our life where you come to that knowledge of Christ and trusted Him to take you to heaven. You trusted Him to take your soul to heaven for all eternity. Now, Brother Preston, I'm not trying to embarrass you, but... The other day when we were up at his house, me and Brother Dwight were up there. Natasha, you came walking in the door. We had just led Preston to the Lord. When his wife walked through the door, he made this statement, baby, things are about to change around here. Do you remember saying that, Preston? Amen. And the thing of it is, is that what happened was that day Preston trusted Christ as his Savior. Amen. 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 Natasha then in turn did the same thing. (laughs) And you see, God intervened in that home, didn't he? You know what it started with? A flyer from vacation Bible time and Samara riding on the bus coming here. It's amazing what God can do, isn't it? Now, God's capable of doing these things, and, and I do believe change occurs in a man's life when he trusts Christ. There's that knowledge of who he is. Now, the Jewish nation was continuing in this Old Testament practice. You know what they wanted to do? They wanted to try to keep doing what they call atoning for their sin or trying to make it right or trying to do something to get it right. They wanted to see something happen, so they wanted to go back into that Old Testament way, and they wanted to go sacrifice animals because this is something visible. We could see this taking place, and God said, Hey, listen, there remaineth no more sacrifice." for sin it's already been paid for Romans five eleven says and not only so but we also join God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we now have received the atonement <laughs> there is no way to atone for that sin anymore Christ did it on the cross at Calvary all man can do is say yes Lord all we can do is accept the truth <laughs> That that's what Christ did for us. Yet the shed blood of Christ now being the new covenant and God sending forth the spirit of grace, man must only trust Christ for salvation. You know, I love it because he opened that door. He tells us in the scriptures, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. He tells us he is the door. He's the way, isn't he? He, he opened that up. And what happens when you trust Christ as Savior? You? you now have access to God. For how long? For For eternity. <laughs> We always have access to Him now because of what Christ did. Your trust, your faith in Him, this act of trying to sacrifice for sin, listen, all that is is unbelief. Now, us as believers, a lot of times now in our society and in the the day and age in which we live, well, we're not going out back and setting up an altar and sacrificing our cats and our dogs. We're just not doing that. But do you know what we do? Sometimes we believe that by doing our works, we're proving something to God, that, that somehow or another I'm atoning for what I now did wrong and, and God's not for that. Listen, Jesus Christ died for your sin. Your works won't solve it, amen? We do our works because we are saved, amen? Yeah. We do that because we love Christ. We're not trying to atone for anything because this scripture t- clearly teaches us that Christ did that. He said, no more sacrifice for." sins. There's no more sacrifice. You can't sacrifice anything. All you can do is trust what he did on the cross at Calvary. And I want you to notice this word here. I want you to notice the word is sins. You ought to underline that in your Bible. That's pretty significant, and I want to tell you why. Because if you go back to Romans chapter 6 and in verse 23, he said, for the wages of sin, singular, not plural, is death. When he uses the term sin in Romans chapter 6, it's not the same as sins that occur whenever we get saved. Listen, our sin nature is what Jesus Christ died for. And so what happened is, is that day when great-grandpa Adam, he decided to sin, he spiritually separated us from God. And it says, wherefore is by one man sin, not sins, sin entered into the world. And death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. But what he says here is there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. You can't keep trying to atone for this stuff, it's not gonna work. Now, as one who is saved, I want to ask you this question, and I want to challenge you as we go through the message. Are you still trying to make sacrifices for your sins? Are you still trying to atone for the things you do wrong? Are you still thinking that there's something you got to do, some sacrifice that you have to make? And by the way, even if you put money in the offering plate, that's not atoning for your sins, amen? And and, and if you do something and you say, well, preacher, didn't you see me over here? I was over at Sea Line on Saturday and I did all this stuff. Didn't you see me there? That's not going to atone for our sins. The only atonement. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. That's it. Man, when we come to that place, you can live a much more joyful Christian life. Amen? Amen? And there's joy in the Lord. And I understand that I'm going to sin, and I understand I'm going to do things wrong. But today, we're not going to go and sacrifice animals. All we can do is drop to our na- knees and say, Lord, please forgive me. I'm confessing my sins. By the way, we ought to do that every day. You don't have to go through somebody to get that done. You can drop to your knees at your home, and you say, Lord, listen, I have sinned against my Heavenly Father. I'm confessing my sins. You say, well, I don't remember. Say, Lord, I don't even remember what I sinned against you about, but I know I have. I'm telling you, keep your heart right with God. Amen? Do everything you can to stay close to Him. Now, I think the Lord gives us several reasons here. We no longer have a need for blood sacrifices. One of the things that He teaches is something called the knowledge of truth. The knowledge of truth, that word knowledge, and I try to emphasize this in this church often, that word knowledge is just not about what I know. It's a relationship. You know my wife, and you say, well, I know her, but listen, I know my wife. Amen? Amen. I have a relationship with Anita. It's very different than head knowledge, isn't it? And to know something, he's not talking about just knowledge here. He's talking about knowing the truth, having a relationship with the truth of God. That's the first thing. Secondly, I think he gives us the spirit of grace. And thank God for his grace. Amen? Amen. And what he has given us is the spirit of grace. And so God has given us something. He has given us the Holy Spirit. So when you get saved, the Bible says, I'm no longer under my own management. I'm under new management. And Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, now resides in me. Amen? It's an amazing thought. I don't know how God did it, but I know he did, because the day I got saved, I'm going to tell you, Preston, I was just pretty much like you. I remember walking out of that room, and my wife was in there that day, and I thought, I don't know what just happened to me, but man, was it good. And I knew that I was no longer going to hell. October 12, 1995. Never forget it. I walked out of that room, and I remembered as long as the day is, I said, man, now I'm not going to die and go to hell. And I knew heaven was my home. I didn't even really know what to do after that. I just felt so excited in my heart and in my soul. I just thought, what just happened to me? God got a hold of me. (laughs) Started to change my life from the inside out. When I look at this, not only that, but the hands of the living God. you got to remember, God's not dead. God's alive. Amen? Jesus Christ is not still hanging on the cross. It says he rose from the grave. Amen. (laughs) We sing a song, he lives. We sing a song about the tomb is empty. We sing songs about he lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me, he talks with me, amen? And and you think about who Christ is, he's alive. He is not just some words in a book, he is the book, Amen. amen? This book is alive, the word of God is alive. The truth of Jesus Christ is alive and well today. And listen, Jesus is in the saving business, amen? And when I look at this, the knowledge of the truth, and I think about, for if we sin willfully after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifices for sins. Look at verse 27, though. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Hey, I want to tell you, truth is powerful, isn't it? Truth will judge mankind. (laughs) Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the what? Oh, hold on a minute. So who's going to judge mankind? Jesus is going to do that, isn't he? Jesus is going to judge mankind. Listen, Jesus is our judge. Hey, you. how many of you have watched this thing with Brett Kavanaugh? It's been an exciting ride, hasn't it? You know, he's going to sit on the Supreme Court, and he's going to try to interpret the Constitution of the United States, and he's going to hand down judgments based upon that. But I want you to know Brett Kavanaugh has a judge. His name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> And what I'm sharing with you is, is every one of you sitting in this room today, including myself, will one day stand before my heavenly father. Amen. And when I do, I cannot stand up there with the title of Pastor Warnick of Calvary Chapel Baptist Church. I'm merely Bob Warnick standing before my God. And I'm going to give an account. Now, my account is not based on whether I'm saved or unsaved. My account is, is what have I done with so great a salvation that he's given unto me? And it'll either be wood, hay, and stubble, or it'll be precious gold, silver, and stone. When I look at this, the knowledge of the truth, the whole of the Hebrews is to tell the Jews that there's no need to make any more sacrifices. This ultimate sacrifice has been made. And when you trust Jesus Christ it provides salvation, and he provided the sacrifice, and when I look at this, now when you sin, know this truth. You no longer have to make a sacrifice for it. It's been paid for, and the only thing you can do is ask Jesus Christ to forgive you. What a Savior. Now, you don't have to raise your hands. How many of you sinned this week? Huh? I know. I'm with you. We all sinned this week, didn't we? Something happened. I got mad. I got angry. I even may have said some words that came out of my mouth that I ought not be saying. Amen? There might be some some issue that came up. There's something that arose. Hey, maybe, men, you looked at some woman that wasn't your wife in the wrong way. We all sin. Well, pastor, I feel bad. This isn't about feeling bad. This is called conviction. (laughs) A standard that God has set, and I'm going against that standard. That's called conviction, amen? Do you know what I ought to do about that? (laughs) If we confess our what? Sins, he's faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sins, and he'll cleanse us of that (laughs) thing. Now, my desire should not be to say, well, I did it. I'm going to do it again. My desire should be you know what? I did that, <laughs> but I have the knowledge of truth. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to keep walking with God. I'm going to get away from this stuff because <laughs> this stuff's hurting us. This is not helping us. And the closer I get with God, how many of you really enjoy your time with the Lord? Amen? Yeah. How many of you get close with God sometimes? How many of you get on your knees, you begin to pray and God reaches down with them everlasting arms and puts them around you, and you know it's you and it's Him, whew, man, you talk about exciting. You talk about getting along with God. You talk about those times that are peaceful. You talk about those times where the burdens of life are lifted. Hey, listen, no man can give that to me, only my Christ. When I look at this, this knowledge of truth, all that you can do is point to Christ and say, Lord, please forgive me. Now, there should be a desire in our heart, an unwillingness to want to sin. You see, for if we sin willfully, isn't that what that says? You ought to underline that in your Bible. For if we sin willfully, that means you made a choice to do this, doesn't it? For if we sin willfully, that means I purposefully went and did this thing. You say, well, you just told me to ask for forgiveness. That's right. And I told you to turn from it and not stay in it. I want you to look in this same book. I've already preached this message a time back, but I want you to look at this. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 with me real quick. Look at verse 4. If you're with me, say amen. Amen. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Here's the phrase. If they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify themselves, the Son of God, afresh and put him to an open shame. Do you know this is another passage that many religions will teach that you can lose your salvation? That's not what that says at all. (laughs) You know what that says? You can't keep functioning and asking God to forgive you and keep on doing that sin at the same time. It's like putting Christ to an open shame. You know what that open shame was? (laughs) They whipped him with that can of nine tails, didn't they? They plucked the beard out of his face. They mocked him. They spit on him. They nailed him to a cross. When it says that you put Christ to an open shame, it's like you're crucifying him again. So whenever you sin willfully as a saved person, get a hold of this now. When you sin willfully as a saved person, you're making a choice as if you're just going to nail Jesus Christ back to the cross again. That ought to impact us, amen? That ought to change my mind. That ought to tell me when that sin presents itself, when that temptation is before me, that ought to cause me to say, no way, I'm not doing that. Because when I do that, that's going to separate me in a way that I don't want to be separated. That's going to break my fellowship with God. There's a turning from and unto And so when I do, and I ask God to forgive me, I'm not to return back to it. You say, preacher, what do I do if I've done that over and over again? Stop it. Get on your knees. Ask God to forgive you. And here's the second thing. You don't have the power or strength to stop it. You need Jesus Christ, the Savior, to do that for you. Amen? You need the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And listen, be ye not drunk with wine, where's in excess, but be ye filled with uh, What? Spirit, you need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Whenever that temptation is standing before you, listen, pray that you enter not into temptation. Listen, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Your flesh is weak. My flesh is weak. We will give in to temptation, but the Spirit of God doesn't want us to. And that is why we have to say, Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Listen, do you believe for a moment that the Holy Spirit of God wants to sin against God? absolutely not and when you got saved you were saved and the Holy Spirit moved into your life and you're making choices and when you sin willfully you're sinning against God and you are making a choice and that choice ought to be no Lord I'm not going to do that again I'm going to turn away from that I'm not going to live like that it's like putting Christ to an open shame 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, What know ye not? Your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. I don't belong to myself anymore. I belong to God. And I ought to live my life that way. I ought to ask God every day, God help me. When my son Connor was younger, he was just, I think, about 12, he got up and he preached a message at Westmoreland Independent Baptist Church. And when he got up and and preached that message, he began to share with the people. He said, now listen, I want you folks to know, every day I get up and I pray, God, help me not to sin today. And he goes, I've not been successful yet. There wasn't a dry eye in that house. Because we're not that successful, are we? (laughs) Things enter into our lives. Things happen. Situations arise, don't they? And if a 12 year old boy can recognize that, how about a 30 year old man or a 40 year old man or a 60 year old man or a 70 year old man, an 80 year old man? How about that? Can I recognize my need to stay close to God? When I look at this, this is the acknowledgement, the insight of this truth. And therefore, that insight comes with understanding. You know what it does? It requires simply confession and repentance. It's not hard. It's confession and repentance. That's what it is. Confession and repentance. Confession is, I agree with God. Repentance is, I'm going to turn from and unto. Confession is, I agree with God. My agreement is, is, God, this is what your word said. God, this is what I did. And God, I need to change that. And God says, you're right. And you confess that. And then you say, Lord, I'm repenting of this. That means that, God, I'm not going to go back to this. I'm going to turn from that and unto you to carry me through. That's the difference. For if we sin willfully, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. See, the Bible says that you put off the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. There's a change of thinking. Brother Jim, come on up here. Let me have that coat. Okay. Oh boy, this looks good, doesn't it? Oh. You know, Chris, I think if we made these, we might make some money today. You know, you never know, right? The Bible says that you put off the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, according to C. Phyllis. We'll let Jim's jacket represent corruption. Amen? God said that you put off the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to deceitful us. But he did tell us that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Being renewed is taking this and allowing me to filter my life through this. You with me? I need to think like this Things. That's what I need to do. And then he says that you put on the new man. Okay? So we'll let mine represent the new man. You put on the new man which is after righteousness and true holiness. Now, Christians, let me tell you what we do. We get saved, and we want to keep on living this way, right here. This is how we want to live. Now, if I come over to your house, Wade, and I was in visitation, I came over and I had this on, you'd say, Preacher, what are you doing? Maybe, I don't know, maybe you have a jacket like this. You'd say, Preacher, what are you doing? You know what this is? This is me wanting to have God and the world. And so I want to live how I want to live, but I want God in my life, too. I don't want God telling me what to do. See, that's not a change of thinking. That's still maintaining the thinking that you have. So how weird would it be if I showed up through your doorway and I had this coat on and I was walking like this? You say, man, that's weird. What are you doing, preacher? Well, I haven't been renewed in the spirit of my mind. I haven't changed my thinking yet, have I? I want a little bit of the world, I want a little bit of God. A little bit of the world, a little bit of God. You see, if I have a little bit of the world, I can still go have fun. I want a little bit of God because I want people to think I'm a good person. And yet God said that you put off. Isn't that what he said? Put off the former conversation. When I put it off, that means I'm going to get rid of that corruption. Right? I'm going to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. Isn't that what it says? And I'm going to put on the new man. There's a putting off, a change in thinking, and a putting on. Are you with me? So the knowledge of truth is something that you've been given by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And he says that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. There has to be a change of thinking, though. You see, you can't decide, well, I want to be saved and live like the world, too. You see, it just doesn't work. It looks odd, even to unbelievers. How many of you know the story of Jonah? Raise your hand if you know the story of Jonah. I know the story of Jonah. How many of you realize that a pagan told Jonah what he was supposed to be doing? How many of you realize that? How many of you realize that a pagan told Jonah what he was supposed to be doing? I want you to know something. When a Christian tries to live just like I showed you just a moment ago, when he tries to live that way, the pagans in the world, the heathens, the ungodly, the unsaved, see that and say, see, they ain't no different than us. They want to do the things of the world, and they want to try to be in the church at the same time. They ain't nothing but a bunch of what? Uh Uh-oh. Bunch of actors, actresses. That's what the word hypocrite means, by the way. It means an actor or an actress. You see, let's not give them cause or further cause to do that. Knowing this truth should cause a level of healthy spiritual reverence for God, an expectation of spiritual justice. It says this. It says fiery indignation. That word has that idea of a lightning-type jealousy. It's going to come. We went down to the ark a couple of weeks ago. We, we were with uh, the Smiths. We went down to the ark. When we were down there... Uh, All of a sudden, this storm started to swell up. We got some photographs of it, and this huge, huge cloud was over top of the ark. And I remember looking on the side of the ark, and it said... Uh, severe weather shelter. I thought that was wonderful that that's on the outside of that building. Severe weather shelter. <laughs> it's kind of funny to me. And, and so, but that's a serious sign. I mean, that you can go in there. You can be safe inside that shelter. But here's the thing. Uh, as we were driving down the road, and all of a sudden, all the entire van were coming back up the highway. And all of a sudden, this lightning came from the sky. To the ground. And I mean, it lit up the place. Have you ever seen that kind of lightning before? And it just lit it up. And I mean, it hit from the sky to the ground. It didn't do it once. It didn't do it twice. It didn't do it three times. About five times as we were heading down the highway, you could see this thing. And I thought about that fiery indignation. It happened just like that. It was fast. And everybody in the car went, Ooh. And the thing of it is, is God said, when we sin willfully, but a certain fearful looking for judgment and fiery indignation which shall devour the adversaries. Hey, listen, God's not going to put up with his people doing wrong. He's just not going to put up with it. Your salvation's not in question, but I'm going to tell you, there is consequences to sin. And God won't put up with it. This has the point of deep, earnest concern, and it brings forth this fiery indignation. Therefore, this fiery indignation will devour the adversaries. Now, I want to tell you something. There are adversaries of the gospel, too. There are people who are just opposed to Jesus Christ. And they're at all levels in our country, in our nation, in companies, and corporations, and politics, and what have you. But I want you to know Jesus Christ will prevail. The knowledge of truth will prevail. The second thought is this. God gives the Holy Ghost to help us remain disciplined. He says in this passage here, and he says in verse 28, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Now listen to this. You ought to understand this. I really need you to get a hold of this. See this in your scriptures. Open your Bible. Look at it with me firsthand. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. How much sore punishment. You know, here's the thing. An unsaved man is going to die and go to hell. Isn't that what the Bible teaches us? Now I want you to get a hold of this. I don't understand everything I read in the scriptures, but when I read this, I can't imagine the pain that is going to come over me when I stand before my Savior knowing I shouldn't have done and I did it anyway. My salvation's not in question. Heaven's going to be my home. He'll wipe away those tears at some point. But he said, how much sore punishment, how much more is it going to hurt you than even a man dying and going to hell? At that moment in time, the law of Moses, I mean, I look at this. That's that first five books of the Bible. They call that the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the books. He talks about the law of Moses, and you know what he tells us this? He says, hey, listen, he said, uh, he, said he that despised Moses' law did with, died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Man, that is a powerful statement. What happened is, that God has shown us his mercy. We don't deserve his mercy, but he's shown it to us, and he's trying to let us know. Think about Moses' day. Think about what happened in his day. And think about how a man had sinned against God and, listen, died for their sin. Listen, they were stoned to death at times. God took care of business, didn't he? And he used the law to do so. But today, he's given us mercy. When I think about this... What we deserve is no mercy. What God gives us is mercy. You know, folks, the devil's our adversary. I just want you to get a hold of this. The devil does not like you. He does not love you. He does not care about you. And he wants you to do wrong. He wants you to sin. The devil, our adversary, is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. Do you know what that causes, men? Listen to me. Hey, man, it causes you to look at another woman in a wrong way. The devil wants you to do that. Devil wants you to do that. You know what it causes, ladies? It causes you to say, you know what? Their husband's better than my husband, and they look better to me than my own husband. That's what it causes. The devil does stuff like that. Well, look at their kids. Their kids are better than my kids. Devil causes that stuff. Devil also causes my kids are much better than their kids. <laughs> it's called pride. Devil's in the middle of everything, trying to destroy us, trying to destroy this church, trying to stop people from getting saved, trying to get Christians off track. He's not our friend, he's not our buddy. Let me tell you what, he wants you to fail. We need Christ. Now, listen, these folks in this Old Testament time, they died. The witness came against them. Do you know what the devil's doing? As a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Do you know what he does? He is the accuser of the brethren. Do you know he's going to God day and night, saying, <laughs> "Do you see what that Chris Hunschen did, huh? He's supposed to be saved. You see what Cody did? He's supposed to be saved. You see what Dave Schlater did? You see what Jimmy Simpson did? Hey, did you see what Preston did? Hey, did you see that? If he's the accuser of the brethren, what's he doing? He's saying that Wade, did you see what Wade did? He's always trying to do what? Accuse the brethren. He's trying to witness against you. He wants you to die. And he wants you to die without Christ, first of all. But those of us that are saved, the only thing he has is to stand there and try to mock God with our behavior. How much sore punishment. I look at this sometimes in Revelation 12, 10, and I heard a voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of Christ. For the accuser of the brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. I want you to know the devil has already been judged. And for us to listen to a man that's already been judged is foolishness. When we think about who Satan is, he's trying to get you off track. And he does not want you serving God, and he does not want you doing right. He definitely wants men looking at other women. He definitely wants other women looking at other men. He doesn't want marriage. He doesn't want the family. He doesn't want godly things to be happening in our nation. Listen, he is in the destruction business, and he's going to try to destroy us. But when you're tempted, remember one thing, you're never tempted of God. We're drawn away of our own lust and enticed. And when that happens, I have a choice to make. And the Bible says I can either give in to that temptation or not. And by the way, you say, Well, preacher, you just don't know my temptations. And when I read in the scriptures in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, it says, There hath no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. You can't tell me that God doesn't know your temptation, because He does. And it says, there hath no temptation taken us, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. (laughs) God's faithful. Listen, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. You know what? He said, I'll never allow something to enter into your life that I can't help you walk through it. Hey, the devil's out there tempting you, but you have a choice. And when that temptation comes, he said, I'll also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Jesus said, I give you a way out. (laughs) And it comes down to a choice. So this spirit of grace that we have, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a worrying lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And he tells us to be sober, to be vigilant. That's not about alcohol. That's saying, stay in your right mind. You know how you stay in your right mind? You put off the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You change your thinking. You say, preacher, how am I supposed to change my thinking? You change your thinking by being in the word of God. That's the spirit of grace. Amen? Amen. He gives you his truth. This is a covenant of God, the New Testament, salvation alone in Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. As many as I love, I rebuke and chase and be zealous therefore and repent. And I tell you, even as we partake of the Lord's supper times, he tells us, but let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and let him drink of that cup. Listen, don't deny your relationship and your fellowship with God because you want to continue in some sin. Get your heart right with God. The spirit of grace resides in you. God has given you something that the unsaved world does not have. He's given you the spirit of grace. This is sorrow to God's spirit. You know, when I choose not to do right, Ephesians 4.30 says, it says, Grieve not the spirit of God. <laughs> Grieve not the spirit of God. Grieve not the spirit of God. Do you understand that the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity? <laughs> Do you understand? He's not an it. It is the third part of God that resides in us. And he makes this statement, Grieve not the Spirit of God. The Bible clearly teaches us this. He says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. A saved man is sealed by the Spirit of God. God said, Don't grieve the Spirit. And listen, I can't stop you from doing it. You're the only one that can make the choice to not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Boy, we need God's power, don't we? We need God to intervene in those situations. The Lord's provided us the spirit of grace, and grace tells you and me that we don't have to pay. We don't have to sacrifice. He's already done all the work. He's looking for confession and repentance. The spirit of grace. The hands of the living God is the last thing. And I want you to look at this. He said in verse 30, he said, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. I want to share this last thought with you because all will come before the Lord and there's a day of reckoning. And there's a thing called in the scriptures and you find it all through scriptures. There's a coming day of the Lord. And God will come and judge his people, but God will come and judge this earth too. I want you to turn to 2 Peter with me, if you will. Turn to 2 Peter, chapter 3. 2 Peter, chapter 3. Look at 2 Peter, chapter 3. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, but the day of the Lord will come as the thief in the night. Let me share a story with you real quick. Look at me for just a second. I lived in Loudoun County, Virginia. We were living over in an area, and uh, there was, uh, we lived in this apartment. We were up on the third floor of this apartment. So for whatever reason, these kids decided that they were going to come over, and uh, they were going to start putting rocks through windshields and slicing And It's always exciting, Cody. And they chose my car multiple times, so I must have yelled at them at some point. But the thing of it is is that they were coming over, they were slicing tires, they were putting, I mean, literally just rolling off boulders into the windshields of people's cars. So I got really smart, and I thought, well, I'm going to park my car underneath the big light outside. And and it's right outside my apartment window, so I could see my car. And it's underneath the light, and I thought, man, this is going to be good. And so then I took a, and we don't use these things today, but I took a video camera, and I set it up, and I put it, I I know some of you ain't even going to know what this is, I put a VHS tape in there, closed it up, and started recording. Only me and Mike Robbins can remember what those things are, right? VHS tapes. VHS tapes. And I remember I'm recording, and so I put it on slow-mo so, you know, you get like six hours. So I wait. I'm staying up till midnight, and I'm thinking, i got to get up early, but I'm going to stay up till midnight because I'm going to catch these guys on tape So what I'm going to do. I'm going to catch them on tape. When I catch them on tape, we're going to know who they are and all that kind of stuff. So I did that, and every day I tried to get home so that I could park in that spot. And the one night I had to leave work late, and I couldn't get there. So for like a week, they didn't do anything. Didn't even come in there. Did nothing to nobody's car, nothing. About a week later, I get home late from work, and I park the car, and I go to bed, and I'm thinking, eh, it's probably over, you know, not thinking about it much. Go to bed, wake up in the morning, come downstairs. Not only did they slice my tires, they unscrewed the oil plug on the bottom of the car and put a rock through the windshield. (laughs) Mine and about five, six, seven other cars sitting there, just crazy. That night, I didn't park under the light. That night, I didn't have the camera out. That night, I went to bed thinking it's over, right? A thief (laughs) cometh in the night, doesn't he? Why? Because he could do it in the cover of darkness. But I want you to know this is likened unto the coming of Christ. You know what? If you knew when he was coming, you'd be prepared, wouldn't you? See, if you knew when the thief was going to do that, if I knew the thief was coming, see, I could have just caught him on videotape, right? I could have just waited until that very moment at 6.15 p.m. or at 9.15 p.m. or at 3 a.m. They're going to be out there and they're going to be doing this thing and I'm going to videotape them. I know exactly when they're going to be there and they're going to get caught. But the Bible says he's going to come like a thief in the night. When's he coming, folks? Pastor Reed used to say all the time, Brother Jim, is code red in heaven. We don't know when he's coming. <laughs> we don't know when he's coming. It says, but the day the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Look with me. "...in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works that are therein, shall be burned up, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved. What manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation?" That's your holy lifestyle and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. "...wherein the heavens, being on fire, shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for new heavens." And a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. <laughs> hey, he's coming back. Woo! The Bible's clear. He's coming back. And I want you to know when he comes, he's going to come like a thief in the night. How many of you want to be engaged in some sinful act at that moment? You say, well, I'm saved. Heaven's my home. How much sore punishment? How much worse is it going to be? How bad? What a situation am I gonna find myself in? God will begin to judge his people, 1 Peter 4:17 through 19. For the time is come that the judgment must begin at the house of God. It's gonna begin here, not out there. It's gonna begin with us. How much sore punishment? It's gonna be heavy, isn't it? When I look to the scriptures and I see this, and the scriptures teach me this, and if it first begin at us. What shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator... It ought to change us. You know, Jonathan Edwards at Edinfield, in July 8, 1741, he stirred up that congregation. It was so bad because he preached this message. He called it sinners in the hands of an angry God, and he used this passage right here. It is a fearful thing. To, uh, to fall into the hands of the living God he preached a message sinners in the hands of an angry God he, they said it was so bad inside that church as he was preaching that message that it felt like that hell was just burning underneath them their feet were getting hot people inside the auditorium began to groan and moan and saying, what must we do to get saved oh that God should come down and do that again in a house of God Oh, that God would move upon his people, that we would want so much to be right with God. Not carelessly walking and aimlessly walking in our Christian faith, but walking with purpose. (laughs) What about you? What about your family and your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors, your acquaintances? The Bible says there's a day to recompense. Recompense is surrender or return payment. And let me share this thought with you, Okay. There's one of two places that every human being is going to appear. By the way, all, all will appear before God. You say, well, what if they're dead? I'm telling you, all will appear before God. And we'll do it in one of two ways. (laughs) We'll do it in salvation or we'll do it in condemnation. You will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, as a saved individual. And oh, by the way, we'll give an account. We'll give an account for every idle word that came out of our mouth. We'll give an account for what we did with so great a salvation. We'll give an account as to whether I did these things in the name of the Lord or I did it in the name of self. And your works will either be wood, hay, and stubble, or they will be precious stones, silver, and gold. They'll be tried by fire. And when I read the scriptures, the Bible teaches me that Jesus Christ in the end times and the judgment, it says his eyes were a flame of fire. I think Jesus is going to look right through us. And he's going to see everything about us. And he knows everything about us. And we're going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to judge us based on what we did with our salvation. Oh, I'm going to heaven. But what did I do with my salvation? Did I waste God's time or did I use God's time wisely? By the way, you've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Amen? Amen. Listen, your body belongs to God. Your life belongs to the Lord. And you think your 401k is going to save you. I'm going to tell you, by the time things change in about four years, you may not have a 401k plan. But you'll have a God in heaven. And we have a righteous God. And he'll recompense one day. And you'll either be at that judgment seat or you're going to be at the great white throne judgment. That great white throne judgment? Lord, Lord, have I not prophesied in, my, uh, in thy name? And he said, turn from me, I never knew you. <laughs> Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior today? You see, what's going to get you into heaven is not the fact that even a guy like me standing up here preaching this message, I need to know Jesus Christ is my Savior, Amen. Amen. Because if I don't, hell is my home. And you say, but you're up there preaching the Word of God. I want to tell you, I wonder how many men stand behind a pulpit one day going to die and go to hell because they don't really know Jesus Christ as their Savior. <laughs> but the fact is, is this the judgment seat of Christ is the saved standing before God. The great white throne judgment will be the unsaved. And the Bible says this when He's done with that judgment, <laughs> He's going to cast it into a lake of fire. Death and hell will be cast in a lake of fire. For how long? Eternity. Now, if that read, in a billion years, you'll get out. There'd be a glimmer of hope, wouldn't there? That's not what it says. You either know Christ as your Savior or you don't. God's going to come. He's going to recompense. He's going to make things right. He said in verse 30, For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. The righteous judge. I just want you to consider something this morning. If you're here this morning and you're saved, you know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. You have no doubt about that. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.